So we thank the church for your hand. Actually, this is the most supportive church that we have, uh, and uh, we are so thankful. We have some information out in the foyer if anyone's interested in, in connecting with us uh, individually. We'd sort of be thankful for that. Amen. Mary, can you stand up so everyone can see you? This is my better half. Praise the Lord. Let's pray and see where God takes us this morning. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us and that you're for us and that you have a divine plan for our lives. And so, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you give us grace to hear and grace to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalm. And we're going to start in Psalm 103. And we're going to start in verse 2. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Now, many of you know this, the Old Testament written in Hebrew language. Um, and, and so the word forget has a little bit deeper meaning than we would understand forget. It actually has the idea of to mislay or to misplace. Or to, to put it in a place where you kind of lose sight of it, you lose track of it. And so the Lord is saying to us, his people, he's encouraging us not to mislay the benefits of the Lord. You know, some of us, maybe this morning, we might have mislaid our keys. I'm, I'm good at that. My wife says, put them in a certain place, you won't mislay them. Uh, but I, you know, I have a habit of mislaying my keys. But here what God is saying to us is he's encouraging us not to mislay our benefits, to put them in a place of importance in our lives, a place where they're easily accessible. And we know that they're ours. And it says to bless the Lord about this. In other words, be happy about your benefits. And then it's going to tell us what the benefits are. Verse three, who forgives all our iniquities and who heals all our diseases. Obviously, we're in an atmosphere of faith this morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. But for some of us that might need some help, God is the one encouraging us not to forget that these are our benefits. In other words, what he's saying is it's not a big thing for these things to happen to us. This is not in the realm of, you know, wish or simply desire. God is the one encouraging us not to forget that these are our benefits. Hallelujah. And many of us, we have been in the church for some time. We easily or readily access forgiveness of sins. Some of us do it so naturally, so often. Some of us have probably done it several times this week. And we have such a confidence about forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Amen. And we'll tell the person with the worst of sins, we'll tell them that God will forgive them. Some of us even go into prisons and we preach the message that God will forgive your sins. And if they laid out their sins, we still tell them, don't worry, because provision has been made for your sins. Before you ever sinned, there was someone that died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. Hallelujah. 
But when it comes to for healing, God is the one who's telling us, these are your benefits. And you should be excited and happy that these are your benefits. And we should have the same confidence in approaching people that are sick and telling them that this is also a provision of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now I know for myself, you know, I know that there's no one else that I can go to for forgiveness. Hallelujah. But I know for many of us, if we asked, you know, who your family physician was, you wouldn't say Jehovah Rapha. But under the, our covenant, he says, I am the Lord. I am your doctor. I'm your physician. He, he actually says, let me let you know who, you, who I am. Before you ever picked up the phone to call someone, I claim that I'm your physician. Hallelujah. Praise God. So here we have a God encouraging us that these are our benefits. Now our benefits are accessed by faith. Faith is the thing that allows something to move from the invisible realm into our visible life. It allows us to perceive what is real to God to be real for us. It is that bridge between what is unseen and what is seen. Hallelujah. And so God goes on, he lays out some other benefits. One of the ones that he says in verse 5, he says, Who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's good news, isn't it? Hallelujah. He says, don't forget the benefit. You're not supposed to age like everyone else. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I picked up that benefit recently. I begin to say, you know what? I, I didn't even know that was there. I stopped at verse 3. But I don't want to age like everyone else, praise God. I want my youth to be renewed. And the Bible says, bless the Lord, forget none of his benefits. Hallelujah. We can be like Joshua. We can be like Caleb. Hallelujah. We can be like some of these people of faith that when they get to 80 years old, people are still struggling to keep up with them. Praise God. Hallelujah. This should be our filtering system. Is we want to filter our life through the word, not through the world. Amen. We don't want to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We don't want to think like the world. We don't want to have the same fears that the world has. We don't want to have the same worries that the world has. We don't want to have the same expectation that the world has. We're living in a different realm. Hallelujah. Our citizenship is in heaven. Praise God. We're aliens and foreigners in this world. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. Hallelujah. We're to be a spectacle to the world. A sign, a demonstration, because why? We believe differently and it allows God to act differently. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you've mislaid any of your benefits, today's a good day to put them back around you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can bring life back into your marriage. Your youth being renewed. Praise God. 
All right, now let's go over in the New Testament to the book of Colossians. You know, I'm encouraged by that because sometimes when it comes to healing, we think of it as kind of an unusual event. And then God is saying to us, don't forget, these are your benefits. Praise the Lord. Now let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul's writing to the Colossians, he says this, he says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say just to the saints who were in Colossae. He doesn't just say to the church that is in Colossae. And, you know, he writes that way to some different churches. But to this one, to a couple others, he writes to them and he says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are somewhere. Now, there's a big difference between being a saint in Seekonk and being a saint in Christ in Seekonk. Hallelujah. And we're not just supposed to be saints in Seekonk. And some of us, we even struggle to believe that we're saints in Seekonk. But what the scripture says is we've been made this. We've been made holy. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart by his spirit. And so God refers to us as the holy ones. Hallelujah. But he says here, he says, to the saints in Christ in Colossae. Now, all of us, when we leave this place, are going to change our lives. We're going to augment our lives by getting in something. We're going to leave this place and we're going to get in a car. And when we get in a car, our limitations are going to disappear for a little while. Because of what we're in. I can go to Tuesday and I can fly across the ocean to Africa because of what I get in. Some of us can get on a boat and we get in a boat and we can cross an ocean. And here what the scripture is telling us is not only did Christ die to get into you, he died that you might get into him. And he's writing to the saints in Colossae, he says, you're in Christ, you, you saints, you're in the anointed one. Your limitations have been swallowed up, you've been changed, you are a new creation in Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, and there's a difference between facing life as a Christian in Seekonk and facing life as a person in Christ in Seekonk. Hallelujah. We're in him. Hallelujah. And that means our limitations have changed. Praise the Lord. And this is the Bible says we're blessed with every heavenly blessing in Christ in heavenly places. It's very important that we begin to calibrate ourselves to the fact that not only does Jesus live in us and we need to be more mindful of that, but we also have been positioned in him. Hallelujah. You know, when you face the spiritual world in prayer, you're supposed to know that you're seated in Christ in heavenly places, right? Yes. 
In other words, in our dispensation, we're not trying to just break through from the bottom up. We're actually looking from the top down. We're looking at life totally different. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he's given us that authority. Hallelujah. And that authority is in Christ. And he wants us to relate our prayer life because all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. You know, in the Old Testament, when they came out of Egypt... God had a goal in mind. His goal was to get them to the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. It was unlike any land that they had experienced before. It was so different than Egypt. It was like a fantasy. How could a land flow with milk and honey? Remember the story? They sent out spies and they come back with one cluster of grape being holed by several men. You know the story? It's a big cluster, isn't it? Unlike anything they've ever seen before. And God says, this is where I want you to go. This is what I have for you. I've got a land for you unlike any other land. It is the promised land. And in our dispensation, being in Christ is our promised land. Hallelujah. That's what we're journeying. Hallelujah. We're journeying to the revelation of believing that this is where we're meant to dwell. This is where all the promises are yes and amen. This is where life is different than any life of the past. And the problem with most of the the Israelites is they didn't believe that was possible. Remember the stories? They were always looking back. Always looking back. And then even after they went into the promised land, they didn't really experience it the way God wanted them to because they peacefully coexisted with their enemies. See, God said, there are some people in that land that shouldn't be there. You need to get rid of them. You remember the story? They didn't drive them out. They just peacefully coexisted. So what happened is they experienced limitations on the promised land because other people were still there that shouldn't be there. What does that mean to me? It means that if I'm going to experience everything that God has for me, there are certain things that I must drive out of my life. I cannot peacefully coexist with evil. They adapted to having them in their lives. Have you ever adapted to something in your life? You just left it there. Hello? Have you ever lived in yesterday? With your imagination, maybe? Going back to past relationships or things that you saw or things that you did. This is what the children of Israel did. They forgot all the pain of Egypt. Remember they're talking about onions and cucumbers. They're going to give up the promised land for a salad. What a tragedy that is. But you know, in general, people are, they need to be transformed by renewing their mind to say, there's such a different life available to me. 
There's such a different level that I can live on. There's so much of God that I can experience. And it is in Christ. Hallelujah. And there are some things that I must drive out because God doesn't like them. Hallelujah. All right, let's, let's go back to John chapter 15, if we would. This may be a review for most. To the saints in Christ in Seekonk. In John chapter 15, Jesus is in the last night before he's going to be uh, taken away from them. And he starts talking about a new theme. This is what he says in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples. So Jesus knows he's leaving. This is his last night with him. And he begins to talk to them about abiding in him. This is new language. He hasn't talked about this before that I know of. And he begins to tell them that this is the secret to having a successful prayer life. He says, this is the secret to bringing my father glory. This is the secret in being recognized as a disciple. This will mark you as a follower of me. Hallelujah. So he says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you'll be my disciples. Hallelujah. We're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, right? So I want to be a disciple. And so he says in verse 7... If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, one of the things when it comes to the subject of prayer, and I know I've talked about this before at this church. I feel like I should do it again. One of the things about being successful in prayer is to recognize most of the responsibility in prayer is on us. When I say that, I mean God is willing to answer our prayers. He's in covenant with us, and he is a good covenant partner. Hallelujah. He's faithful, and he's powerful, and he's loving, and he's good, and he's kind, and he's full of grace. And on his end, we have a great partner. And he's letting us know how it works. He says, if... If you do this, and if you do that, then you'll ask and you'll have it. Hallelujah. That's wonderful news, isn't it? Because a lot of people wonder why it's not working. Why am I praying and I'm not getting answers? Why do I get answers one out of ten times? That doesn't seem like it's a good representation. So he says, if you abide in me, and we could even say, and if my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Let's start with the words abiding in us. We should ask ourselves, is God's word abiding in us? 
Is it living in us? You know, if I decided that I was going to, or we were going, you were going to invite me to your house and I abided in your house, you'd know I was there, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Especially at night when you hear me snoring. <laughs> right? But, you know, you'd, you'd know that I was abiding. Because why? You'd hear, you'd hear me. I'd be speaking and I'd be talking and I'd be living. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's not enough that I said certain things to you. It's not enough that you read them. It's not enough that you heard them. They have to be living in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And sometimes we have different words living in us. Sometimes we've got the words of a physician. Sometimes the words of a psychologist. Sometimes the word of a parent. Sometimes the word of an educator. We have sometimes the word of our wives or husbands that said an unkind thing. And they're living in us. And Jesus is saying, no, get those out. Get another set of words. Let my words live in you. See, Jesus is not just glorifying prayer. He's not just trying to say we should all pray. Everyone, let's pray. No, he's saying, this, I, my father wants you to get answers. He wants to be glorified. So he needs us to get the word to abide in us. Hallelujah. Abiding, living in us, speaking in us. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And hearing is present tense. It doesn't say faith comes by having heard. And what is faith? Faith is a confidence, an assurance, a persuasion. So he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Let's turn to, to Romans chapter 10, if we would. Verse 17. You know, it really is the basics that are the keys to success. You know, sometimes people are always chasing for new things. You know, if, if you played sports, you know that you don't get very far from the basics and be successful, right? We're still catching the ball the way we used to catch a ball. We're still throwing the ball the way we used to throw a ball. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now notice the second hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, what you hear becomes the filter for you to hear something else. You're actually hearing through the word that you have heard. So what happens is a lot of times when people hear promises of God, it goes through a filtering system. And many times people filter out. Have you, have you ever done that? Okay, in other words, you know, we might have promises about uh, uh, prosperity. We might have promises about health. We might have promises about whatever it is. And people are filtering through their filters. And what God is saying is, I want you to get the word that you've heard to be the filter so that faith can come. Hallelujah. Okay, in other words... What you've heard on healing allows you to hear more on healing so that faith can come. 
if you give up before faith has come, you just had heard, but you don't realize that you're actually building your filtering system to allow you to hear so that faith can come. Hallelujah. The subject of prayer. As you're hearing it, it becomes the filter for you to begin to have faith that really this is how it works. Praise God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right, let's go over to to James chapter one. James chapter 1, James is talking about prayer. He says this, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. For let that man not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So what does it say? It says the person that's asking in faith, we should do them the service of letting them know how much are they going to get from the Lord? That praying man, that asking man who doesn't ask in faith, how much is he going to get from the Lord according to this verse? Nothing. But he's praying. He's crying. He's desperate. He's needy. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Jesus never said to anyone, your tears have made you well. He said, your faith has, right? Now, thank God, you know, we can pray fervently and sometimes we shed tears and sometimes it's part of our desire. There's nothing wrong with praying with tears. Jesus prayed with tears. So he prayed with strong crying. But they should be tears of faith. Hallelujah. So it says, you know, let this person that's asking, let him ask in faith. Now, the scripture tells us how faith comes. This thing that we need to have a successful prayer life, it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So sometimes we should slow down before we send our request. To build our faith. Just take our time. Hallelujah. Position ourselves for success. When I ask for this, I am going to ask for it in confidence. That's what faith is. Not hope. See, you know, I can look back at my own life, being Christian for so many years. Most of the prayers that I prayed were prayed in hope. They were really a wish list. A want list. But I didn't have much confidence that they were actually going to be answered. I was surprised when they were answered. Have you been there? And thank God someone else probably got my answer for me, actually. Or maybe it was because I was praying in tongues. But what I'm saying is there there were hundreds and thousands of times that I prayed and hours that I spent, which God is saying to me, Rob... They were not working for you. 
I remember, you know, we, we struggled to get our permits to stay in Botswana some years ago. And I was praying about it, and I was worried about it, and I was crying about it. And Sunday morning, the music was playing, and tears were rolling down my eyes, and I'm talking to the Lord about it, and I'm asking Him again. And it was just like, you know, I felt this attention getter. And I heard, heard God speak to my heart, and He said, You're not asking in faith. I said, You're right. And I realized that I had spent... Hours upon hours asking, but I was asking with no confidence. I was wishing, I was desiring. I wanted it. I was crying, I was letting him know, I need to stay in Botswana. You need to do something. And he had the courtesy to let me know, that ain't going to get it. Make the change. Hallelujah. Now we have more reasons to have faith in God than we do to doubt him. He's not a liar, hallelujah. He cannot lie. Right? Someone once said, you know, we should doubt our doubts. So I had to step back and recognize I, I need to make an adjustment in my heart. Whatever I need to think about to get God's word living in me. And at that moment when he spoke to me, it was instant. The correction was made. I moved from hope, wish to faith. And within just a short time, here was the permit coming, praise God. I'd waited months in the land of, you know, not knowing what our future was. And to be honest with you, not knowing. You know what I'm saying? Not knowing because, yes, I'm praying to an almighty God, but I have no confidence in him. But he wants us to be confident in him. So he says, let's ask in faith. With no doubting. Praise the Lord. Now for many of us in this church. We have the word of God abiding in us. Hallelujah. I believe this is a word church. So then the, if we go back to John chapter 15. Verse 7. We go back to the issue of abiding in him. Now, Jesus said, if you abide in me, which means it's possible that we don't abide in him, right? It's not automatic. Okay, let's go over to the book of 1 John. First John chapter 3. Verse 22. It says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Whatever we ask from him, we receive because of something. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments. Verse 24. Abides in him. And he in him. So here it's telling me how I actually experiment experientially experience the blessing of being in Christ 
I got to keep his commandment. And then it actually lays out two of them. One is I'm commanded to believe in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, you're commanded to believe in it. You're commanded to believe that it is a name unlike any other name. Hallelujah. And it has supernatural power. And it allows you to step into the impossible realm confidently. Praise God. And then when you use it, you're not just supposed to use it as an addendum in your prayers. You're supposed to use it believing that this is a name unlike any other name. And that when I ask in the name of Jesus, it's like Jesus himself asking. It calls all of heaven's attention to wherever I am at the moment. It is like Christ is in that place. So when I'm in my room and I close the door and I utter the name of Jesus in prayer, all of heaven focuses in on me. Hallelujah. There is a peace of the body of Christ in that place. We need to respond. Send out the angels. Do whatever is necessary. Hallelujah. But if I'm not abiding in him, it's raw praying. And I don't want to go to God on the merits of Rob. Because there's a lot of people that got more merits than I do. Hallelujah. But there's a name. Hallelujah. And it's been given to me. See, Jesus on the last day, he started speaking about using his name. And the magnitude of it. Now, they were already using it with demons and sicknesses. But then he let them know this is going to be permanent now. Then in John chapter 16, can we go to John chapter 16? Verse 23. Giving you a workout back there, huh? Praise the Lord. Verse 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Whatever you ask in my name, he'll give it to you. Now, the parameters of what you ask for is because the word has to be living inside you about what you're asking for. So you're not going to get out of the way asking for things that are like fantasy world because the word itself will put into you the picture of what you can ask for. And you'll see it over and over and over again. You'll see other people asking for it. Why? Because it was in the word. So Jesus is saying, you know, when it comes to your prayer life now, you're not going to ask me for anything. You're going to ask the father in my name and he'll give it to you. It'll be like me coming to the father. Praise God. Now, if we go back to first John. He says. In chapter 3. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Do you know how you feel about me affects your prayer life?
Do you know how you feel about others affects your prayer life? Because it says abiding in him is based on believing in his name and loving one another. In other words, if you're not doing this well, you cannot do this well. And this is supposed to be your checklist for this. So you can have all the word abiding in you. You can be a person of, you know, great faith and great word. And it's not working because why? This is not okay. And the devil knows. The devil knows how our covenant works. One thing about him, he is not stupid. So he knows how to move you from your position in Christ. He doesn't want you in there. He doesn't want 500 in Christ people in Seekonk. Hello? He doesn't want an in Christ person in Botswana. So he just has to stir up some relationship issues to move me from my place of being a prayerful, successful believer. Look at it. You go back with me to Mark 11. We love Mark 11, don't we? I hope we do. Mark 11, 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. What a wonderful promise that is. Now, remember, the word believe has the idea of confidence, assurance. Not hope. So he says, whatever things you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is the way God thinks about successful prayer. He says, you've got to believe it's yours before it's yours. That's why it's faith. Let's say you place an order from Amazon and you order a phone. And, and after you order the phone, I come to you and say, you know, would you like to buy a phone? You'd say, I already have one. You have complete confidence that what you asked Amazon to do for you, they'll do. That's right. Do you have the phone? No. Do you, should you order another one? No, that would be foolish. Because why? You have placed your order. Hallelujah. But with God, I can look at my own life and say, sometimes I had no confidence in my placing the order. I wondered if he was hearing me. And so I placed it again and again and again. And then I got on prayer lists. And then I, you know, hopefully I could get, you know, 10,000 people to be shouting at their highest voices to get him to answer me. That's not how God is saying it. Should we get people to pray for us? Yes. Paul said, pray for me that a door would open of utterance, right? Pray the gospel spreads. But I don't want to have more confidence in Amazon than in my father. That's, I mean, that's bad, isn't it? But he doesn't stop there. When, when he's talking about these wonderful promises about you believe you receive and you have, and he says this in verse 25. He says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your father in heaven may also forgive you. If you don't forgive, neither will your father forgive you. 
So every time we're praying, it should be a spiritual checkup to say, do I have anything wrong here? Because it's going to affect this. And this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, whenever you ask me something, check. Do you have anything against anyone? Forgive them. Don't waste your time. Remember, you know, when, when Jesus is speaking about bringing your gift to the altar, right? He says, you know, you're, you're going to bring something to the altar of the Lord. And then you remember, you've got a relationship problem. He says, don't bring your gift. Go and make things right. Why? So that your gift can register in heaven. Why am I tithes not counting? Why doesn't it not seem to work? Well, I had a relationship issue with this certain person for two years. You're wasting Now, am I saying you shouldn't tithe? No, I'm not. I'm saying get the relationship issues right. Because God is a relational God. He's our father, right? We're his kids. He cares about how we relate to one another. He cares about how we relate to the world. So he says, whenever you stand praying, ask yourself, do I have anything against anyone? Why, you know, I love most people. But there's that person at work, you know? They persecute me. Yeah. And do you think that's by accident? You think the devil doesn't know what he's doing to try to cripple your prayer life? He knows that if you're in Christ in Seekonk, he has a problem. But if you're just in Seekonk, he doesn't have a problem. But if you've got a prayer life that can move heaven and earth, hallelujah, then doors can open that no one can close, and doors will close that no one can open, hallelujah. And you can speak to mountains and have them be removed, and you can believe you receive and have, and you can bring much glory to the Father. And besides that, unforgiveness is tormenting. I had a wonderful opportunity to spend some time with my dad. As Pastor John said, he passed away a few weeks ago. And I was around in the area for a few weeks before we went on the road. And I had some really good talks with him. My dad told me that he had a dream. And uh, he said in the dream... The doctors and nurses were in the room, and then they they disappeared. And I was left with another person. He said it wasn't really like a person like everyone else, but he said I didn't know who they were, but they were like a tormentor. And he said, and they began to cause me great pain. My father had, uh, his skin was very sensitive on his arms, and this person began to... You know, do this to him and cause him a lot of pain and ask him, do you like that? And my father said, no, you know, I don't like that very much. And he said, the one was talking to him and talking to him. And he said, you know, I knew I shouldn't talk to this being. And then he said, Rob, I said, I'm not sure that was a dream. 
And it made me think of Matthew chapter 18 where it says, you know, those that have forgiveness issues are turned over to the tormentors. And my dad forgave. You know, in the last, you know, few weeks there was, you know, he had a couple of anyone's. And he forgave them. And, uh, and you know, he was in his uh, bed at the nursing home and one of the orderlies came in that he had had a previous issue with and my dad had made it right with him and he was the one holding my dad's hand and saying, you know, Jesus is here, you can go. And my dad just stopped breathing and went to be with Jesus. Praise God. That's a great comfort to me. But many of us, we're not going to have those kinds of opportunities to realize, you know, when, when, when it actually talks about forgiveness, it's pretty serious with God. Real serious. And our prayer life should be a checkup for us to say, I certainly am not going to step into eternity with this. Praise God. You can let it go. Hallelujah. Now, this is the issue with forgiveness. Any relationship without your vertical connection can turn toxic. Yeah, any relationship without a vertical connection can turn toxic. I love this guy. My, my family introduced me to... I'm so excited there. Praise the Lord. Now, even Denny and I, right? If we don't have this, there's the potential that this could turn into a subtraction relationship. There was times in my marriage where my marriage to Mary certainly felt like a subtraction to her. And vice versa. You've been there? So what does God say? God says, I'm asking you to do this for me in that relationship. Husbands, love your wives. This is my vertical connection. And when I do my vertical connection, it turns that subtraction into an addition. Hallelujah. And that's the cross. That's how you bring the cross into a relationship. That's how you beat or defeat the devil. That's how you change lives, including your own. You bring that vertical connection into that subtraction relationship and it changes. Now, if that person on the other side doesn't change, you'll change. And then you're not, you're not subject to being, uh, you know, just up and down emotionally because you'll have changed. Because doing this will add to you. Hallelujah. You'll be a different person. Hallelujah. So there are certain things, you know, he says... You know, uh, when you're working for someone, this is your vertical assignment when you work for someone. You know what this got vertical assignments? When you employ someone, here's your vertical assignment. When you're married to someone, here's your vertical assignment. If you're someone's kid, here's your vertical assignment. If you're a parent, here's your vertical assignment. Because even relationships with kids can turn toxic. And you love them so much, right? But this becomes the bridge to the power of God. And then when you step into the prayer closet, the devil trembles. Because there's an in Christ in Sikonk or wherever you are. Hallelujah. 
See, when it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you, the precursor is submit to God. And, and what does it mean to submit to God? It means God's going to ask you to do things you don't want to do. Right? He's going to say, do this. Forgive them. I don't want to forgive them. Yeah, do it anyways. Let it go. Let it go. Why? They haven't apologized. They've made no effort. They're the ones that are wrong. Don't let their wrong cripple your life. You've got an adversary. His name is the devil. He is out to destroy you. And many times he's not destroying you through the person. He's destroying you through your reaction to the person. And instead of reacting to that person, react to this person. Say, Father in heaven, I want to be in the promised land. I want the land flowing with milk and honey. I understand it's a walk of faith. So I'm going to forgive them. Hallelujah. I'm going to let go of the pain. I'm going to get it out. And watch what God does. Hallelujah. Can I go just a couple of minutes longer? I know I put you on the spot by asking you that, Pastor. I'm sorry. I'm going to take a couple of minutes, okay? All right. All right. Go, go with me to the book of Colossians. I promise I'll, I'll be... Yeah. Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the Colossians and, you know, he's heard, he said, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I heard of your love for all the saints. And then in verse two, he says, I want you to know what a great conflict that I have for you and those in Laodicea and as many have not seen my face in the flesh. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining all the riches and full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, just a couple points here. Paul says, I want you to know I'm in a conflict for you. Now, the word conflict in the Greek is the, is the word agoni, where we get the word agony. It means a struggle, and, and, and the word has the idea of a, a, a combat in front of others. It's like at the Colosseum, and you're, you're in this battle. And others are watching and Paul saying, I'm in this fight for you and I want you to know it and I'm, I'm going to win this conflict for you. And then what's the conflict? He says that your hearts may be knit together in love. And that you may have a full assurance of understanding. And that you may know the mysteries and secrets of God. Now... This, the mystery of God, the word mystery or secret of God in some Bibles, is the kind that is when someone closes their mouth. Have you ever gone into a room and people are talking and they stop talking when you go in? You know there's a secret there, right? It doesn't take much you know, detective ability to know. There's a secret there. What this is saying is there are some secrets. And who's the one that's closed their mouth? It's God. But if you want him to open his mouth and reveal certain things to you, you have to be moved together in love. 
So Paul, this is what he's praying. He's praying for the church, that they be knit together. He says, that they may be encouraged. And he doesn't mean to be encouraged by God. He means to be encouraged by each other. See, there, what, God, what Paul's saying is, I want you to know I'm struggling, I'm fighting, I've got to win this thing because it's so natural for people just to stand aloof from each other. It's so natural for people who are even in good relationships to have let them gone toxic and remove themselves from one another. He says, I'm struggling and I've got to win this fight that you may be knit together so God can open his mouth and tell you what you need to hear. See, there's some people, they've gone into seclusion thinking, you know, the church has problems and I don't want to be part of that group. And I'll, you know, I'll just separate myself and God will talk to me in private. There are certain things God will never say to you unless you're knit together with others. Because he's not going to change the program for you. He's going to say, adjust to my program. This is how I work. There are things you need from each other. Hallelujah. You may be encouraged by one another. Amen. You know, in a lot of churches, people come in and they leave and you ask them, who's the person that sits in the row in front of you? I don't know. How long have they been sitting in front of you? Four years. You don't know them? How are they going to be? How are you going to help one another? But it's so natural, especially for us New Englanders. Right? I mean, you know, you say hi to someone in New England and it's like you've committed an offense. <laughs> what are you looking at me like that? Where are you talking to me? Oh, I just hello. Right? And it may be uncomfortable to be knit together. And it's certainly painful sometimes to be knit together. But God wants it. Hallelujah. He wants it. He wants it. He wants community. Hallelujah. Not just us to know things, but us to know things together. And celebrate them together. And face them together. Hallelujah. You know, when I came up on the faith message, I misunderstood it. I thought it was an individual message. You know, as long as I'm being blessed... As long as God is blessing me. But remember the promised land was help others get there. And you can't enjoy it until you help them get there. Right? It's only limited. Go there and fight for them. Praise God. So what does that mean? And if I'm going to be knit together with you, there are times when I'm going to have to pull this vertical relationship into the relationship. I'll just end with a story. This is kind of a funny one. I, I may have told part of it to you before. I, I had a, a, a brother in the church that I came from before I went to the mission field. He hated my preaching. You might be like him. Sorry. <laughs> but he hated it. And he would let me know he hated it. And, you know, I'd get out from the pulpit and I'd think, you know, I did a pretty good job today, praise the Lord. And by the time I got to the back of the room, here he would be. And not quiet either. <laughs> and he'd say, you know, I don't believe that. And you did this, you know. And I'd, you know, I'd just apologize and say, I'm sorry. You know, I, you know, it's just what I believe. I'm sorry if I offended or hurt you in any way, you know. 
This happened often. And we moved to the mission field. And he started sending $100 a month. And I said to my wife, Mary, Mary, I had no idea this person loved us so much. And then three months later, it switched to $300 a month. He was our biggest individual supporter at the time. And I said to Mary, Mary, I had no idea that they loved us so much. I mean, do you remember how he talked to me in the sanctuary? In the sanctuary! (laughs) So I'd go home from the mission field, and I'd be so happy, you know, to go home. And I'd be thinking, you know, I want to go up and thank him for being such a good supporter of our ministry, and he wouldn't be there. And I think, you know, why isn't he there? Go back to Africa, the money keeps coming, coming. I'm going to go home this next time. Surely he's going to be there. He's not there again. And I found out later that he said to himself, I am not supporting that guy. And God said, support him. And then he couldn't sleep until he wrote the first check. He wrote the first check, he slept soundly. He hadn't slept soundly in three weeks. Three months later, God said, triple it. He said, no way am I tripling it. He couldn't sleep again. He submitted to God, he began to write checks. Every month he wrote checks. And then he began to console himself, saying, maybe he won't come back, because if I send enough money, he won't have to come back to raise money. Now, when Mary and I went through a difficult period in our lives, we didn't have any place to stay. It was him that said we could go and stay where he stayed. And I didn't find out later that he didn't really like me at all. We were preaching somewhere together and he told the story and I was shocked. You know, I I knew there was something bad there, but I didn't know how bad it was. He told his wife, if I go and hear Rob Grinley preach, I'll either kill him or kill myself. (laughs) That's a high level of dislike, isn't it? But you know what? That man kept his vertical assignment. And when I needed, he opened a door for me. And I went there. And we've become good friends. And I know if I needed anything, he would help me. And I hope he knows that if he needed, I would help him. I almost walked away from that relationship. He almost walked away from that relationship. Because it wasn't the wrong people. It was the wrong principles that tried to separate us. He was the right people. I was the right people. And thankfully, we had this right principle that kept us together. To the saints in Christ... In Sikong. May God be glorified through your life. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.